And we continue our journey through Exodus, starting at Exodus chapter 6, verse 28 through to 7, verse 13. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses says to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a stake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh just wasn't prepared to listen. Why was that? Was it as Moses feared because Moses could only speak with faltering lips? Moses was worried that he was such a poor communicator that Pharaoh wouldn't respect him. If Moses had been a brilliant public speaker, able to sway and manipulate his audience through the power of his rhetoric and oratory, would that have made a difference? Was Pharaoh's refusal to listen down to the fact that God chose a man who really couldn't string a sentence together very well? Well, no, that's not the reason why Pharaoh refused to listen. True, Moses wasn't a brilliant speaker, but he had Aaron to be his spokesman. Moses was to tell Aaron what God had told him, and Aaron would relay that message to Pharaoh. Moses, he was the man who listened to God. Aaron, he was the one who passed the message on. Though their combined age was a grand total of 163 years, they made a great team. What Pharaoh heard, coming from Aaron's lips, was the message that God had given to Moses. So the problem wasn't with any lack of rhetorical skill on Moses' part. So was the problem perhaps that Pharaoh was not, wasn't convinced that Moses knew what he was talking about? What lay behind Pharaoh's request for a miracle? He was looking for some kind of authentic- authentication. You claim to be speaking on behalf of your God, well, prove it. 
Show me what your God can do. Give me some evidence to indicate that you are representing some kind of higher power and then maybe I'll give some consideration to what you have to say. Well, the Lord had anticipated this move and had told Aaron and Moses what to do. Aaron was to throw his staff down and it would turn into a vicious serpent, as indeed it did. But Pharaoh wasn't impressed. He summoned his wise men, his sorcerers and his magicians, and each one of them threw down their staff. And by dint of their secret arts, their staffs too turned into snakes. So if the trick of turning a staff into a snake was supposed to impress Pharaoh, it backfired somewhat. And we might wonder, what's going on here? Was this whole business of turning a staff into a snake just a matter of illusion, some kind of chicanery? Had Moses and Aaron read the same kind of magic textbooks and tricks books that Sarah's sorcerers had? Was it perhaps a matter of training a snake to go rigid so that it looked like a staff, and then when it was thrown on the floor, it uh, writhes and hisses like the serpent it really is? Well, if there's anything like that going on, you can understand why Pharaoh was unimpressed. Or... Or was there something really supernatural going on here? And if so, were Pharaoh's wise men, sorcerers and magicians really able to tap into some kind of occult power to turn their staffs made of wood into live snakes? Was the whole thing counterfeit or real? At first it rather looks like it's round ones to Pharaoh's team because Moses and Aaron only had one staff between them. Whereas who knows how many snakes were rising on the floor by the time all Pharaoh's wise men, magicians and sorcerers had copied Aaron's stunt. But actually it didn't matter how many snakes there were on the floor because the snake that came from Aaron's staff attacked and gobbled up all the snakes that had been produced by Pharaoh's team. That should have been a warning to Pharaoh that whatever power his henchmen were exercising, the power of the Lord was greater may be genuine instead of being false. But despite the fact that Aaron's staff had swallowed up their staffs, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he wouldn't listen to them. And that was just what God had said would happen. What the Lord actually said in Exodus 7, 3-4 is, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he won't listen to you. So, was God just making Pharaoh stubborn to prove a point? so that he have an excuse to demonstrate his superior firepower by unleashing a series of plagues against Egypt. This isn't the first time that the Lord has said he will harden Pharaoh's heart. He says he'll do this next as 4.21. I will harden his heart so that he won't let his people go. But there are all sorts of references to Pharaoh's heart being hardened in Exodus. And if you look at them, an interesting pattern emerges. There is a definite structure here. We start with two statements of intent on the part of the Lord. In 4.21, he says he will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. And in 7.3, the Lord says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will not listen. Those statements of intent are carried out, but in the reverse order. So in 9.12, we read that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he doesn't listen. God is unmistakably the agent of hardening Pharaoh's heart here. But before that, in 7.13, 7.22 and 8.15, 
we find references to Pharaoh's heart becoming hard without God making it so. Three times Pharaoh's heart hardens, seemingly of its own accord, and then God gets involved and actively hardens Pharaoh's heart still further. Then in 935, we have a single reference to Pharaoh's heart hardening without God's intervention, leading Pharaoh to decide that he will not let the people go. Then you have three references to God hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. There's a pattern here. You have two statements of intent by God about what he's going to do in terms of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Then you have four statements about Pharaoh refusing to listen. The first three, because his heart hardened of its own accord. And then the fourth, because God reinforces this process by hardening Pharaoh's heart still further. The next four statements are about Pharaoh deciding not to let the people go. The first is a decision based on the way his heart hardened of its own accord. The next three are because God hardens his heart. Whereas when it comes to listening, Pharaoh's heart hardened of its own accord three times before God stepped in to reinforce that process and hardening it a fourth time. When it came to refusing to release people, Pharaoh's heart hardened of its own accord just once before God then hardened it three times. It's as if Pharaoh gradually loses his capacity for self-determination. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to listen to this. I couldn't listen to this even if I wanted to. I'm not prepared to let the people go. I can't bring myself to let them go. I can't bring myself to let them go. I can't bring myself to let them go. From being voluntary, the process becomes increasingly involuntary as God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's quite a frightening process to watch, actually. In effect, we see Pharaoh gradually losing control. And it all seems as inexorable as the hardening of arteries round our hearts, which, once it starts to happen, is very hard to stop and impossible to reverse. In Hebrew thinking, the heart represents the centre of reason and intelligence. On these particular issues, listening, letting the people go, Pharaoh is developing a one-track mind and he cannot take on board any perspective other than his own. His mind has become completely closed to any alternative apart from the one he's made his mind up to do. How do we get locked into situations like that? Sometimes it's pride. We climb up into what we think will be an unassailable position from which there really is no way down again except by falling. Sometimes it can be emotions that get the better of us, particularly if they're negative ones like anger or hatred. Shannon Older has has given important insights into how involuntarily hard-heartedness can sometimes develop as a result of our clinging on to harmful negative emotions because of painful experiences. She says, people that hold on to hate for so long do so because they want to avoid dealing with their pain. They falsely believe that if they forgive, they are letting their enemy believe they are a doormat. What they don't understand is, hatred can't be isolated or turned off. 
It manifests in their health, choices and belief systems. Their values and religious beliefs make adjustments to justify their negative emotions. Not unlike malware infesting a hard drive, their spirit slowly becomes corrupted and they make choices that don't make logical sense to others. Hatred left unaddressed will crash a person's spirit. The only thing he or she can do is to reboot by fixing him or herself, not others. This might require installing a firewall of boundaries or parental controls on emotions. Regardless of the approach, we are all connected on this network of life and each of us is responsible for cleaning up our own spiritual registry. So what we see in Pharaoh is a man corrupted by absolute power, in the grip of an unreasoning hatred against the Hebrew people, and so set in his ways that he absolutely refuses to back down and then can't back down. Finds himself unable to change with disastrous consequences for himself and the nation of Egypt. Just a minute, I hear you say. I can understand how our emotions take over and we end up being controlled by them, but Exodus talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Why on earth would God do that to someone? And the answer is, that is how the judgment of God works. God made each of us with the capacity to choose the good. But the more frequently we opt to choose the bad, the harder it is to change back again and make good and right choices. Our hearts become hard as a result of the decisions that we make. And Romans 1 talks about people turning away from God and their minds becoming darkened and God handing them over to that decision to turn away from him so that they lose all sense of right and wrong. God gives them up or hands them over to all kinds of behaviour. People end up being evil, wicked, greedy and mean. They want what others have. They murder, argue, cheat and are hard to get along with. They gossip, say cruel things about others and hate God. They are proud, conceited and boastful, stupid, unreliable and devoid of love or pity for anyone else. It's quite a damning indictment really. Such is the lifestyle of those whose lives are dominated by the power of sin, whose hearts are hardened as a result of the choices that they make. They don't just need forgiveness because their lives are in the grip of something far more powerful than they are. People in that situation need to be set free. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, to break the control that sin has over our lives and set us free. He rose again to establish God's kingdom in our hearts where love rather than hatred can be the source and inspiration for our actions. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and make them new, hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. To the plight of hard-heartedness under the dominion of sin, Jesus is the one who sets us free and opens the door for us to be different, to be changed. If God were to give your heart a spiritual ECG this morning, what would the results be? Which spiritual arteries would be hardened or blocked? 
Which bits of your heart are governed by negative emotions or pride rather than by the Spirit of God? Are there things you know you ought to say or do, but you can't quite bring yourself to say or do them? Watch out. The heart is being hardened. And the longer we leave it, the harder those spiritual arteries become. But God wants to take away your cold, lifeless, stony heart this morning and give you instead a heart that's soft and warm and responsive to his love. When we find ourselves unable to change, that's when we know we need a saviour who can change us. Chris Jamie says, the funny thing about the heart is a soft heart is a strong heart and a hard heart is a weak heart. If you want God to soften your heart, then now's the time to ask him. We celebrate communion together this morning. This is the time, this is the place where God offers us his love, his forgiveness, his healing for our hardened hearts, his deliverance from the way which sin assumes control of our thought patterns. Jesus died to set you free. And he offers to restore to you the capacity to choose again, should you want him to. All you have to do is to ask, into my heart, into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Listen, here is good news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to forgive you in your failure, to accept you as you are, to set you free from evil's power and make you the person you were meant to be. Listen to him. Listen to him. For through him, his Father says to all who come to him as we come to him, you are accepted. You are forgiven. I will set you free. That's the good news.